Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, a few years ago, crawling through one of the many book conferences I go to, I met this agent who I wanted to meet. Everyone was talking about her. She's standing with people surrounding her and laughing her ass off, which I thought was great. So I went ahead. I just popped the Prosecco. I've got a glass sitting next to me. It feels like it's the right thing to do. Let me tell you about my guest. She's had a career in publishing to rival none. She is just an amazing woman. Um, She moved to Puerto Rico thinking she's going to lay on the sand, which, by the way, in Puerto Rico is beautiful, drink um, Cuba Libres, which I understand completely, and just write her little heart out. So she did an internship with a publisher, and she did an internship at the same time with a literary agency and got a degree, a BA in English, and came back to take over the world. My friend, Elizabeth Cratch, is here with me today. Liz, I have been drinking in anticipation. Welcome to Authors on the Air. Thank you so much for having me, Pam. I wish I was <laughs> drinking with you in person. <laughs> I, w- I wish you were too. You know, you're out in Northern California. I'm in Southwest Florida. So, you know, we're kind of having the same weather and we have same the nice beaches and all. Although you're still in Northern California, which is way better than being in Southwest Florida, I have to say. But anyway, we don't welcome have to the, the show. Frozen iguanas. Oh, listen, you haven't lived. Now, I've told this story before, and so, and just so you know, I used to live in Miami. I was born and raised in Miami. So it has to be really cold, like freezing temperature for iguanas to go into, into this, like, sleep, like a hibernation. So there was mm-hmm. a guy driving around my neighborhood. I used to live down the street from Attorney General Janet Reno, and she had peacocks. In her yard, she had a massive, massive uh, piece of property, and um, she had peacocks. And there were because it was so heavily foliaged in that neighborhood. There were also a lot of iguanas, which are not indigenous to this country, but they are beautiful. Their colors are quite lovely. But um, so we had a freeze, and driving around the neighborhood was a guy with like a camper top on the back of his pickup truck, picking up the iguanas that had gone into hibernation when it got really cold. Um, so he threw, you know, he's got like 50 iguanas in the back of his cab, and he opens up the window from the cab to his to the the driver's place, and he has the heat on, and all freaking 50 iguanas wake up at the same time. So oh needless God. to say, you know, he was a little stunned because he thought they were dead. You can't, I mean, who grabs a lizard and looks for a pulse, you know? This is the rocket scientist in Miami. You wonder why Paul Levine and, you know, Carl Hyacin and Dave Barry and Tim Dorsey get such great stories out of Southwest Florida. This is why. You know, just, just read the Miami Herald. Yeah, that's a good one. It that's really is. One. I think they had a resurgence of that story recently. Yes, they did. Well, and it, what happens is uh, at first they were skinning the iguanas because the scales are beautiful. But then some people eat the iguana meat, which I cannot imagine. So, um, and I, you know, I'll stay, I'll stay in a vegetarianism if that's what it's going to be. But anyway, you have a book. You have a book called the author's checklist an agent's guide to developing and editing your manuscript, which by the way, thank you very much. Um, I see a lot of people, especially authors, who write books on how to write. 
Mm-hmm. The problem is if an author is writing a book on how to write, I, I think that they might be writing in some of their own mistakes. Do you think that's true? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not really sure. I just know that in putting this book together, I felt like I didn't want to write a book that, that was, that had a lot of narrative, you know, to go through, especially since people seem to have slight or seem to have slightly, you know, shorter attention spans. I wanted to write something where people could just kind of quickly look at a point. Um, Right. And, and the whole reason for writing the book is, is, is different. You know, I haven't written or I haven't read, you know, a number of other writing books um, right. out there. So I, it, it'd be hard for me to comment on that exactly. But, um, but I definitely see that in the editorial process that when I'm, um, when I'm working on projects and I see that some of them have been edited, if, if there are points at which an author comes back into a manuscript and begins to write after something's been line edited or copy edited, um, I can see that there's a new that they've introduced some of their old bad patterns, you know, so I can tell Interesting. That, you know, it has a little bit of a patchy feel sometimes, if that makes sense. So I'm going to talk to you from the reader perspective and things that mm-hmm. pull me out of a story. So mm-hmm. um, not that you have anything to do with this, but cover art uh, actually sometimes uh, is very misleading. Um, mm-hmm. Cover art to me, if I have, let's say, two characters on the cover and I open the book and start reading and the characters inside are totally different, look totally different than the way the cover is, that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, is a, it's a little speed bump for me. The other thing right. that happens is when it's a male, female, or any two characters who are speaking to each other, when they sound exactly alike. So the dialogue is yeah. interchangeable. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's someone who doesn't know how to write in a, another point of view. So that will pull me out. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in the, in the storytelling, just the narrative is repetitious. So someone is angsty over something. I don't want to hear that they're angsty mm-hmm. over that thing every single chapter. You know, right. I, that right. nothing – and the, and the and this is kind of odd, I know, but if a book starts off that it's a female character and she's too vulgar, it turns me off. Not that I don't mm-hmm. cuss like a sailor. You know, you and I have the same favorite word. <laughs> so, um, which, by the way, for all you listeners, is motherfucker, which um, we won't be saying too often, except I will be asking Liz for her list of, you know, the, her her um she favorite it on <laughs> right exactly so those are the things as a reader that pull me out of the story what are the things for you as an agent and an editor that pull you out of a story well you know it can be all of those same things you know I've worked on projects where um where all the characters do sound the same um they all nobody's kind of individuated um and so right. that that can be you know an issue it just depends. Like there's, you know, when I begin to read a manuscript, my mind immediately kind of goes into uh, asking a lot of questions. And one thing that makes me a good editor is I listen to those questions and I write them down. And I, you know, so I might, when I'm looking, I might be looking at, at something from the perspective of formatting. Is this formatted properly? Is this going to be a pain to read because it's not formatted? I'll look for page numbers simple things like that. And then, you know, as we start, I'll look for um, problems with the prose. Um, do I know where I am in time and place? 
Um, do I like the character? Because like you said, you can get a character that you're not really, that something about you is turning you off about that character. In fact, I worked right. with an author who had a character just like that. And so what it came down to, a lot of, a lot of editors that we submitted to um, just didn't like her enough to, to want right. to spend time with her. And so right. what we did was went back through and line edited out those places where she was too unapologetic about her habits and things like that. So, right. and, that and sometimes it can just be a line edit like that because it's usually that first 20 pages where, you know, an editor or a reader is turned off. So sometimes it can be as simple as line editing and softening that character from the beginning. So that it can be anything, even pacing, um, you know, repetitious, um, dialogue you know, or like narration. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Right. It can be I don't want someone to describe the clouds to me and, and, you know, how blue the sky is over and over again. That is not the focus right. of the book. So, you know, <laughs> no. you talked about, you know, pagination and, and formatting. Those things to me are not even in my in my sight. Unless it's a book where the print, the font is off. If someone's decided to use mm-hmm. a, a wonky font, and then you mm-hmm. know, I, I think that's a big mistake if you're not using a, a normal font that's generally found in books. So you are. Very Can I generous. interject you, on that? To, absolutely. Just to, just to make a, a point is that I think that's something that's really taken for granted because readers, they're usually things are all lined out for them really well. And, you know, like you, you take like readers take for granted, uh, you know, how easy it is to read. But when, when you get manuscripts that are not formatted properly or, um, that are not, uh, that don't use indentations that don't have separate lines for dialogue, it, 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 basically becomes very difficult for us to read but not only that you lose the the writer actually loses their skill set or their toolkit because sometimes you're using you're you're creating a new paragraph with one line to make to give more emphasis and if right. you leave it up to the reader to decide where the emphasis lies you're you're kind of losing control or losing the, the power over your own writing so so well you're losing your reader those, yeah you're yeah, losing your reader too. I just got a book from one of the from someone, and I can't read it. It's so the lines are too together. It's an awkward font, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I listen. I read four hundred books a year. I, I am a right. super reader, but mm-hmm. uh, and I like almost everything. I mean, I don't necessarily like historical, and I don't necessarily like horror, but I do like everything else, and I read voraciously. So. Um, you're generous when you say you look at 20 pages. If I don't, if page five, if by page five, if I'm not pulled in, I'm done. I have an embarrassment mm-hmm. of riches. Uh, you know, for me as a, as a super reader, and I know most people don't read as much as I do, but um, for me, I think that's a lost opportunity for the writer because if I really like someone's writing, I'll go back and buy their, their whole backlist and I'll, right. and I'll buy their, their, you know, upcoming uh, books, but little things like that make such a difference on the reader side. So how do you know when a manuscript is submitted to you that it's going to be a good book within those first 20 pages? What tips you off? You don't really know, you know, in the first 20 pages. Um, I would say if you get kind of past the 50 mark, you know, sometimes they, you know, agencies allow you to submit 
you know, sometimes up to 50 pages our agency does. And so, you know, people really work hard on those early pages. And then sometimes what happens is the manuscript will drop off at page 51, believe it or not. It'll take a left turn into fantasy when you thought you were reading a crime fiction book, you know. And so, right, right. So, uh, so you, so you don't really know, but you, but you do have a sense when, when you're seeing something that really stands out above the rest of, of projects when you're 20 pages in and you don't have anything that you've really seen wrong, um, that you're, that you actually are looking, you know, forward to reading, um, on your right, free right. time. Cause most of us read on the weekends and at night. So it is, you know, if you, if you get pulled into that extent, you know, you're onto something and then it just becomes a matter of, okay, is anything going to trip it up along the way? And if it, if, if something does come up, is it easily, um, fixable? that sort of thing. Right. So, um, so what are the biggest mistakes over and over again that you see when someone submits to you? Well, um, that's what my book is about. <laughs> which is well, and that's and, and everything. That's my I mean, lead. Honestly, it's right. right, right. And quite honestly, it's everything that has ever probably crossed my mind. I think I maybe accidentally left one or two things out, but, um, but it's everything that's ever crossed my mind in terms of um, submissions that come in that get taken down for one reason or another. And usually, you know, let's talk talk about the first three, the biggies that happens every single time. I don't mean the query letter sucks because I'm sure a lot of them do. No, no. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot (laughs) of them oversubmit, you know, like here, let me send you, how I came up with the idea. Let me send you all the blurbs. Let me send you the all whole right. thing. But here's half, you know, I don't mean that stuff. What are the yeah. writing errors, the top three that you see time and time again? Um, I would say pacing is a really, uh, is a big one um, where the story doesn't really get started until 50, 50 pages in and the, the writer, you know, has to explain that to you before they kind of know it already. So sometimes authors will sort of jump the gun and let you know it starts out slow, but it'll, you know, it picks up after page 50 and that's too slow. And so what usually the fix for that is making sure that you're starting in the right place. A lot of times authors try to, um, develop their character over 50 pages or they try right. to show their routine, their day-to-day life. Or their backstory. Totally yeah. 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 Backstory right. too. And so usually you want to start that inciting incident kind of in the first chapter and make sure that that's where you're starting. Sometimes they also lead in with um, too much travel. So you, they're trying to show that the character is going to take a trip and instead of starting in the place that they're headed to, they show us on the plane or driving, which usually is terrible pacing and nothing's happening. Right. So usually right. that's a big one. Pacing is a big one and making sure your story's starting at the most um, poignant, you know, place. You want, do you want your story as far as pacing is concerned to start off with some action, whether it's emotional or physical or, or surrounding action, is that important? Yeah, I feel it, it has to be a mix of everything, you know, because if we have too much action and we don't have any internal arc or emotional arc, it's just like right. action for action's sake. So I do right. like that emotional component where we know where that 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 um, that character's coming from. And oftentimes with backstory versus background, you know, we get the background on the character so we know what, what skills they have in place. But backstory is usually something that's happened in that character's past, Um or the right. basic, well, the simplest version is that's happened in that that 
character's past, it gets triggered by something that's happening in the inciting incident. Ah, so it's almost like a subplot that has to get kind of unraveled along the way. Right. But so I like things that kind of have that layering. Oh, but it doesn't have to come in the first few pages, though. I mean, you you have – the inciting incident is what you want to see, whether it's dialogue, action, thought, you know, movement, any of those things. You want to see that and then figure out why that inciting incident happened. Is that correct? Um, it might be that, the, you know, the, uh, the inciting incident might be outside of their control. It might be something that gets in the ah. way – of what that character most wants for themselves. Maybe, you know, on any given day, they're headed toward this thing that they've got to do that they're really excited about and is very important to them. And then something, you know, gets in the way of that. And then you you sort of figure out. But then there can also be like that backstory element, something that's similar, that, that, that gets triggered by an event, you know, something that has happened in their recent past that, you know, suddenly you know, you just have the sense that there's something emotionally they're going to have to figure out or that's somewhat tied to what's happening. It's, you know, it's going to further unravel them as they go, as they go along. Right. So that makes sense. is that, it does. So is that the big what if that writers often talk about? Should the big what if be there in the first chapter or in the first few pages? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like what so, if... When a lot of writers that I speak to, I ask them, are you mm-hmm. character driven or storyline driven? And, you know, where does your, where do you start? And they say, well, I start with what if someone was this person and this happened to that person? So it's like a what mm-hmm. if situation. Is that a good starting place? I mean, I guess so. I don't really, um, I guess I don't quite look at it that way. I mean, that I seems... You know what I mean? It's but it but it is where you're kind of thinking about you know a character who's suddenly faced with a difficult you know situation or something's happened to them or a challenge, then, right? And, right. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. And they've already been through something similarly challenging, and and how they're going to kind of go through the the arc of the story, um, you know, being successful and you know possibly facing failure. Like what you know what's going to happen to them? How are they going to manage? Um, so. So that number might be a two. term that I'm just not super familiar with. You know, well, that's because it's, the, it's, a, it's from the, the writing's writer's, pr- writer's perspective, yeah. So number mm-hmm. two, big, big issue that you see all the time. Um, okay, so we've talked about pacing. Um, probably, probably character development. Um, yeah. You know, just feeling that you're, the character is not well-developed enough to want to take the journey with them. They don't have an internal you know, arc. I tend to like to see projects that where the character has some kind of internal life, um, and that the character right. is stereotypical in any way. Right. Um, that they're they're well thought out and individual, like we talked about earlier. So character right. development is a big one, and and sometimes it can be for writers that are further along in the process. Sometimes it's a very subtle thing where their character still isn't very sympathetic, or they've made they've they've done something to create an unsympathetic character right from the start. Um, right. One of the ones that I I received the query on was was a was a character that killed butterflies for a living, and I was just like, I'm just never gonna like that character. I just won't, yeah, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where where something subtle is just taking that character, the main character down. So 
Usually right. character development is a big one. Um, yeah, Cleo, Cleo Simon did a really good blog on um, don't kill the animals, like don't kill cats and dogs, yeah. you know, because yeah, like, that's going to piss everybody off. <laughs> so I have seen only one project where somebody actually killed the cat, and it, but it's, it's a story, it's a collection of short stories that's told from the perspective at times of the animals, and it's, a, it's actually a very great uh, collection called Squirrels in the Wall by Henry Hitch. I think Hitch is right. his name. And I, I worked on editing that and I knew that cat was going down and I was, and I'm a cat lover. I'm a cat rescuer, fosterer. So you for and me, me both. Like, killing, killing animals is not like a good thing, but I was just like, I knew that cat was going down and it was probably one of the only times where the writer was skilled enough to pull it off as part of the collection. So it, it was, it was a true feat really on his part, but still disturbing nonetheless. So we're talking about character development and, Here's the thing as a reader that trips me up on character. So last month or something, I was reading, you know, I don't know, I picked up a Kindle book, and it was in the women's fiction genre. And um, the character starts off as being like six foot five, you know, this really muscular guy, mm-hmm. sports guy. And a few chapters later, the guy has shrunk to six foot three. And mm-hmm. it completely pulled me out of the story. It is a small right. thing like that that I think you don't, you're not reading your story out loud or no one's reading it out loud for you or you're not doing line edits. It's, it is disconcerting if you read as much as I do and, and absorb as much as I do. So characters that do something that's out of character. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people do things that are out of character, but if somebody is you know, brusque and kind of a little bit not gentle or has a a reputation for being a certain way. And all of a sudden their character changes and they're like this angel sent from God. I'm thinking, well, I mean, I believe in redemption for a lot of characters, but uh, you have to explain to me why a change happens. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of times where that happens, where a character does something that doesn't make sense or, or doesn't make sense for the situation that's now unfolded where their best friend, you know, died violently right in front of them. And they're, they're suddenly off laughing with somebody else, you know, it's like, wait a minute. I'm like, that, this is not, you know, this emotional arc is not um, developed or, or we see that sometimes with men writing women's characters that are saying things that, that we would never say, you know, or exactly. Right. So it it um, is true. I often feel like, um, you know, it feels inauthentic to me. Um, Now mm -hmm. fiction being fiction, you can do whatever the heck you want, but there Mm -hmm. has to be some, there has to be a reason why your character acts a certain way uh, based mm-hmm. on the world around him and the things that are happening in his world. So number three, biggest, biggest mistake. Oh gosh. Um, I would either go, I mean, plot, you know, of course is huge, but you know, dialogue can also take um, somebody's oh, yeah. manuscript down, I guess, you know, those are the two, those are kind of like the four biggest ones um, that, that I would say probably, kind of take manuscripts down, um, plot something where, where, where we don't really know, you know, sometimes it can be a thin plot where it's really too, it almost feels like one dimensional in a way that we just yes. don't have a, we don't have a, you know, it just feels too thin or too simple, too simple, I guess. Um, 
not enough layering, not enough subplot, things like that. Right. Um, and then sometimes it can just be action for action's sake, and that won't hold that won't hold you, you know, keep your interest if the, if there's no emotional kind of arc to the story either. Right, um, right. And a lot of times projects are like they don't have enough rising action leading up to the yes. climax. Um, so that that's a big problem for manuscripts. Um, do you and on look the for a lot of sub? Do you look for subplots going on in story too? I personally do. I mean, I'm, I always look for a lot of layering. So I like subplot, you know, the layering of subplot. I like um, whether that's a backstory uh, of the character or another, um, another, su- you know, secondary character that is, right. you know, that, that where there's a subplot going on. I like to kind of know where those other characters are, you know, what's going on in their lives, you know, as well. Do you- and so I do, I do like that. And I like exploration of themes also, because I think every manuscript is exploring at least two or three things. If not, you right. know, if not a main message, there's at least two or three things they're exploring. And right, I like right. to see that enhanced too. And that can help the plot too. Like it kind of works, you know, in tandem. So in direct if you have a subplot going on with kind of um, red herrings <laughs> in, in those subplots, is it necessary for a writer to tie up all the loose ends? Or no? Um, I don't. I think that it is pretty necessary for loose ends to be tied up, but maybe they don't necessarily have to be like the happy ending necessarily. Right. What one editor right, right. kind of in New York said is it has to be a satisfying ending for the story, you know, and not it doesn't necessarily have to be happy, but just satisfying. So I do feel like there are a lot of people, a lot of authors that don't tie things up, and they, you know, it leaves the reader kind of wanting to know like well what happened with that what happened with that character what happened with that right what he was thinking about all the way along the theme of like life and death or something and and they just right, drop right. it off and don't and sometimes what happens is you find that authors do that because they're planning a book two when really book right. two should probably be incorporated into book one if, if book right, one right. has a real thin feel to it so yeah that makes sense i find that the only time i don't mind if ancillary characters are not wrapped up if they are like a suspect in something and you know they're investigated uh-huh. and they're crossed off the list and that's fine because they're not main characters but but secondary and tertiary characters like you say I feel like if they're not wrapped completely that must mean the author is looking forward to doing a sequel to the to the book so that's how mm-hmm. I feel now tell me about dialogue because I'm a stickler on dialogue I oftentimes when I read a book and the dialogue is so delicious. I want to read it out loud. Whether it's a, just a nasty character that you have a hard time wrapping your head around, but the character is so well drawn, I will read that dialogue out loud. Because, you know, it ticks off mm-hmm. different parts of your brain, reading versus saying it. Um, so tell me what are the biggest di- uh, dialogue mistakes? I think the and you know my dialogue mistakes are... Right. There are over, you know, overuse of dialogue tags. Those are simple things that can kind of be stripped out, you know, um, overuse of dialogue tags and ad, adverbial, you know, kind of dialogue tags. Mm-hmm. Also, um, one of the big things that I find is that is uh, authors tend to create these pleasantries a lot. So it's like, hi, how are yes. you? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, could you hand me that scone? Or would you like a piece of pizza? You know, it's sort of like, you don't need all that. It's better to kind right. of start um, that. You're in the scene, pizzeria um, and you're talking, right? Right. I understand. Right, right. So, yeah. so pleasantries is a, a really big one in terms of um, taking that, you know, getting rid of those. Um, 
And also, you know, as we talked, characterization, well, you know, you want that dialogue that's being said to be purposeful and to be um, telling us something about the character. and Moving the story use... forward. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. And then and, and showing character, like, where is this person coming from? Because dialogue is so interesting when we're in conversations with one another. Half the time we're, like, jumping in on each other. You know, we're not, the dialogue actually oftentimes in manuscripts doesn't really reflect how dialogue takes place in person, you know. So you kind right. of want to, um, you know, I always suggest authors like go out and really just just spend time listening to people talking and, and trying to right. figure out what they can pick up from the person who's talking without looking and, and looking at them to kind of assess the type of person in front of them. Just listen and see mm-hmm. what you pick up because, you know, I think that that would help to inform people writing dialogue that actually was interesting and different and, and um, brings out more about the character themselves. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I keep jumping in on you, but I have so many questions for you. Oh, um, yeah, go I ask, I ask oftentimes when I'm interviewing writers, if they read their dialogue out loud and mm-hmm. they say, no, I never thought about doing that. And I say, you know, because when you're writing dialogue, it's different than when, and you, when you're actually speaking to people. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like you said, hi, how are you? Yeah, cool. And if your character has a gruff, like, okay, I always picture Jack Reacher, you know, not being a big dialogue guy, being a big talker. So what he has to mm-hmm. say is, like, to the point. He has a gruffness about him, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Whereas if someone is going to write a Reacher type character, he dispenses with the pleasantries, like you said. He's mm-hmm. just going to get to the point. And I mm-hmm. think that it, the thing about dialogue that bothers me, and, and sometimes in the, in the narrative itself, is that writers talk down to their readers. So that's yeah. a real big thing. They assume that, and it's really wrong, that readers are not smart enough to keep up with the story. The fact of the matter is people who read books are generally smarter than people who don't read books. So right. I don't need a dialogue bubble. I don't need, well, the reason I said this, I don't need an explanation right. for why something no. is happening. <laughs> Do, you yeah. know, and I, I, I know I've read Agreed. a lot of, I've read, a, done a lot of beta reads on stuff and I'm saying, don't do that. You're talking down to me. Let me figure it out for myself or make the story up for myself as I'm going along and you just guide me on the course. I want a map quest without the streets on there. I just want the directions, you know, I want the picture without the dialogue on there. So, so that is troublesome to me also. I don't want to, and I don't care what age the characters are, but at least be authentic and don't talk down to me like I'm stupid that I haven't led, you know, lived a life already. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I, and I don't write bad reviews except when I'm really irritated when I want to say, this sounds like you're writing for an elementary or, you know, junior high or high school level. Don't Mm -hmm. put it in an adult section. If you're going to write like that, don't explain to me everything that's going on. Write it. Write it. Right. Don't don't explain it. Let me have fun and figure out the story. Particularly, like you said, in mysteries, thrillers, suspense. Let me figure it out. Let well, me. Some let of me that, try to figure out. And it. Some of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, some of that takes place in the background in the setup because what will happen is somebody doesn't properly set that character up. And so then when they go, you know, you know, um, maybe like a month down the line or like three chapters in or something like that, they, they go right. to pull out karate moves on a character and kick someone's ass. You're like, wait a minute. And then, you know, right afterwards they'd say, well, he learned karate when he was uh, in high school or, you know, something like that where it's like that has to be set up in the very beginning. Very beginning. So that by exactly. the time – so that by the time that occurs, we actually understand, we already know that he's got that skill. So it's not, right. it's not something that we it, need to explain And it has to, to be and, subtle, too, doesn't it, Liz? It should be subtle yeah. to learn yeah, those totally. things. It shouldn't yeah. be, you know, unless you're flashing back to when the kid's in high school and taking karate lessons, which I'm not, a, I'm not real fond of flashbacks, except if they're really pertinent right. to the, the existing story. Um, yeah, it could be so, something that occurs that that occurs like as they're walking down the steps to their house and they think of something their sensei said or whatever. You know, it doesn't right, have to be exactly. You know, exactly. a big like drop. And, and we look for that too, is like the download or the drop where authors are dropping information and it's really clear that it's the author doing it, and not the character. Right. You know. Right. Right. You probably see so a lot I, of that. I, you know, I do. So I want to talk about <laughs> you now instead of you, the editor, and you, the literary agent. You've had a very oh interesting life. You've had such an interesting life. You love Puerto Rico. I saw all your pictures when you before you came back into town. Um, and you also are very meditative, which I don't think mm-hmm. people know that about you because you're very, very, very vivacious. I know you're a pet lover. I am, too. I'm a rescuer of five cats. But um, – you often post very zen-like and mindful comments and pictures on your Facebook page. Um, mm-hmm. That is your intention, is it not? That is definitely one of your intentions in your life. Yeah, I spent from the age of 17 to about 32 kind of studying meditation. And so I I have a really strong background in meditation and I feel like it, and I've always had a, a real interest in death and reincarnation since the time I was 10. I was reading Elizabeth Kubler-Ross books like, oh, yes. about the afterlife yes. and trying, yes. to, trying to learn about death and reincarnation. And so, um, so I got into meditation and spent a lot of years mostly focused on that. Um, and, and so that's kind of informed who I am, I guess, in a sense, like it's kind of created my heart. I have a big heart. And so that is where that comes from. And um, even then at a certain point, I just felt like I was ready to kind of, you know, explore a different type of lifestyle. And, right. And, no, I understand. You know, so it's, I transitioned into some other stuff. But, yeah, meditation's always been a strong um, aspect of my life. And I'm still, I still currently meditate. And I go up to Spirit Rock and do, um, there's a place here that's uh, owned or run by Jack Cornfield. And so I'll go up there and do meditation up there with the, the Buddhist group um, at Spirit Rock and so I, I, I'm not belonging to any one thing, but I like to take from all sorts of different, you know, cultures right. and spiritual traditions spiritual, to kind of yes. inform how I live a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's a very mindful way to live, isn't it? To being in the moment, to recognizing what's around you and also the things mm-hmm. that are important to you, right? Yeah, and I feel like it's, for me, it's sort of, like learning to really take advantage of my life and be grateful for what I do have and, um, and really appreciate nature and the things that, that we have while we have them. Yes. And, and that's something 
you know, that that, that that period of my life really gave me the ability to kind of to sink into kind of the moment. And, you know, to be honest, when I'm in meditation, when I'm, when I'm in a, a place where I'm meditating, like at spirit rock, like I don't need anything in those moments. Like I'm completely satisfied, right. completely happy. You know, I'm not like worried about my dating life or anything like that. You know, it's just like, I'm just happy and satisfied. I'm glad. So. I'm glad. I'm so glad about that. <laughs> I, I'm going to switch back now and have you put on your, your agent and your editor hat again. Mm-hmm. And I want mm-hmm. you to tell me, please, what are the best things that writers can do if they want to get published? So the top three, because I know that your book is going to cover a lot of this. And, and, and by the way, mm-hmm. I want to mention this again. It is an indispensable guide for writers in all genres. You, The author's checklist is a fantastic way for you to get from someone who's experienced who knows what she's talking about and who is generous and kind with her words to you. You're not going to get Liz Crouch is not going to write back to you and say, this is a piece of crap, you know, forget writing ever again. I I just know Liz and I know her smile is always in place. Um, and, And she would not be mean to you. So what are the things that writers, whether they're just getting started or they're already published, need to keep in mind when they do a query, when they want to do a submission, when they're writing. So what are the things that are important for them to know uh, from you? Okay. Um, Well, you know, first of all, I just want to say in terms of my background, you know, I started out from a young age really wanting to be, you know, writing, writing a book, right? So it was like my thing. But of course, I was too young at that time to, to have anything to say, really. And, um, so I come from the writer's perspective. So when I became an agent, I realized that it was a really a good career fit for me. Um, and I became an agent. I could see how far away the submissions were. You know, the submissions that were coming into my inbox were like four drafts away from being ready. And I can say that in honesty because I, I do a lot of developmental editing. So I can actually tell when I look at a project how close it is um, just by reading, right. you know, right. uh, some of it. And so, so – I just have this desire to help authors get a little bit closer. And that's where the book comes from. That, that's where all the points in here that have ever crossed my mind have landed in this book of things that have taken manuscripts down. And so, so for me, you know, knowing that, um, so I am here to kind of help authors to kind of bridge that divide. And what I think they need to most focus on to start is really, um, is really their project itself. And so for nonfiction, it's going to be a little bit different than fiction, right? Um, a nonfiction right. project doesn't have to be finished to be sold unless it's memoir. Right. But for fiction, it's it's like you really want to make sure that you're not sending out a first draft material to an agent if you're if you've just begun writing. Um, most authors that that do submit their books, you know, are you know they're working on their third, fourth, fifth draft before they ever consider sending it to an agent. And most of the the authors that I work with, um, coaching wise. They, they do have to complete about four drafts before they're ready because like the last draft is going to be line edits, the little, the little things that are very easy to fix, you know, um, right. Usually what I see is most projects aren't even developed 
uh, well enough and need development work. They're not ready for line edits yet. And that's probably 99% of the projects. So, so it's really focused on the project itself, I think is the most important. And then once, once you've really, you know, nailed it and you've kind of gotten all the expertise you can to, to get, you know, where you think you need to be sometimes, you know, sending it out, sending out a few queries to see what kind of feedback you get is good, but it's not always in, indicative of, of where your project is though, because agents right, right. sometimes don't even respond, you know? So well, that's true. It's, I, that's why I wrote the book. Cause it's like, you're just never going to get this advice through normal avenues. It's going to take you 10 years to get the advice that, that's in this book, basically, unless you go to conferences all the time, you know, and you're, right. put, you're putting yourself in front of agents and editors who are speaking about, you know, these kinds of topics or listening to your show, right. for example, because you give a lot right. of information on your show. So, right. so that would be like, it's project focused mostly. And then, and then it would probably be approach to the agent, you know, you know your approach, approach to the agent or agency or the, the industry. So explain that. Um, usually, you know, most authors, I mean, I would say most authors, maybe not every author knows that they're, the, the industry is alive and breathing and it, it is an industry that has an, a, a method of approach. And so usually there's, you know, finding agents that represent your genre um, or, and writing the query letter and making sure you have all your submission materials together before you submit to an agent. Right. And in right. my experience, like, I don't, I don't think it's all that hard. If your project is ready and your query letter is tight, you know, um, you're going to get attention. There's no doubt about it. If you're not right. getting attention, there's a reason, there's usually a reason for it. Um, and so, and that's not to say that every pro- project that I've ever had has sold because they haven't, but, you know, also the industry is cyclical and comes back around and yes, gets interested does. in projects, you know, right. that it wasn't right. interested at one point and then all of a sudden they're interested in, you know, so, um, but usually it's the approach too. you know, sometimes authors come on to, they come on overconfident or they come on underconfident and it's better just to approach your query letter, like a business letter. And those are the ones that stand out because all of a sudden you're like, oh, who's this person who's just telling me like it is in their, you know, story. And not, Okay, so not I want to interrupt you right there yourself. because when I was talking to mm-hmm. Hag Philippi Ryan and we talked about mm-hmm. why, why you're not getting attention from, you know, editors and agents. And she said, you know, if you like Janet Ivanovich, you're going to love my story. She said, that's absolutely the mm-hmm. wrong approach. She posted on Career Authors. She said, what if this person did this and this is what was going to happen and so on. She said, that's the way to approach it. Be original, but don't be so far out of the ballpark that someone's going to think you're writing mashup, which to me is my most unfavorite thing to to read. Also, Mm -hmm. is it important to have, I mean, I say this a lot. I post this a lot on my Facebook page and I'm sure you've seen it. I say, Look at Publishers Marketplace. Look for the the yeah. agents who are looking in your genre. Yep. Follow what their submission guidelines are. If they say, we only want 30 pages and a one-page query, do that. Don't do anything yeah. extra because you're wasting time. So is it important for that first 30 pages to be edited as pristinely as possible. And I don't mean your brother who's an English professor or your mom who taught, (laughs) you know, who taught university creative writing. Is it 
let me backtrack a little bit and kind of set the tone for this. To me, writing, being a writer, an author, a published author, no matter how you're published, is a small business. And in your small business, you have to account for having a great cover design. You have to account for having an editor for line and copy. You have to be able to say, I'm willing to spend the time to query agents who are interested in my genre. And I will pristinely make sure that my spelling is correct and that I hire someone to look at my first 30 pages. Am I wrong saying that, Liz? No. I mean, I think that, I think, you know, everybody's coming from a different place. Some people don't have the resources to pay, you know, like editors to kind of work on their projects. But, um, you know, again, that's kind of why I have, you know, put out this book because I think this will help people with self-editing in a, in a way. Um, So those people that don't have the resources to do that, but it's, it's the smartest thing to do because, I think you, unless you really have an objective um, look at your project from a professional, and we're not talking an academic, we're talking a professional in the industry who right. has worked in the industry and worked on uh, on books that have been published, um, it's going to be very hard to for you to see. I mean, even my authors that that whose books I've sold, they they you know all go through the an, an editorial round with them and and help them to tie up things that they've not tie right. up or help them to develop right, right. things they haven't developed. And so, and they're at an advanced level, right? So for, for somebody who's just coming into the industry, you put yourself in an advantage if you do really learn the industry well and understand that the guidelines of following guidelines to a T are important, that it following the right etiquette to submissions and also making sure that your work is tight, you know, um, right. You right. know, sometimes you can, you, you want to make sure all those developmental things in your project are put in place before the line edit. So you, you, it's important right, right. probably for authors to really understand, you know, are they at the line editing phase or are they actually still, you know, more in the developmental phase? Cause that, right, right. you know, if, if a, you can have it pristinely edited, you know, line edited, but if it's still not pulling in, you know, the, 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 the agent because the right. characters right. aren't developed. Yeah. Right. Things like that. Yeah. So, I've tried to say that if you want to, if you're serious about your writing, you have to make a business plan for your writing the same way as if you're opening a small store or a business of some sort, because this will be your business. You can't scrimp on editing. You can't Photoshop your book cover. You can't, Say, but my this is a story no one's ever heard, because mm-hmm. if your if your whip is not magnificent, your first thirty pages of your whip is not in, in pristine shape. No one wants to go back and say, here, let me show you how to write a book. It's just not going to happen. They'll help you do the minor things to create to make it better, and and all. And if your story is interesting, great, but don't skimp. Don't go on vacation to Europe and say, I can't afford an editor. I mean, that's essentially right. the way I look at it. Does, does that make sense? Right. I've definitely you know. seen authors that do that. I'm like, God, if I had one more round with that person, they'd be in such a good thing. And they're like, I just don't it's, have the money. Exactly. And then they're like, they're in Europe. And I'm like, come on, you totally, you could do it if you wanted to. No, no, no. 
you know, I, I, I used to work, I used to be an administrator for a plastic surgery office, and this is kind of my, my, you know, analogy. And so someone come in and they'd want to have all these great services done. And they say, I will send you a check when I get back from vacation. I go, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> you can't call Florida Power and Light or your property manager and say, I'll pay you when I get back or your water bill or, you know, your electric bill. Your yeah. bill. It doesn't work like that. You have to take yeah. care of all those things first. And then if you have money left over and you're successful, God bless Bon Voyage, you know, those kind of things. Right. So I, I and totally to your, understand your, what you're saying. Yeah, and back to your other point, I think you're right that 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 if you you have to approach this industry like with with a certain amount of seriousness. I mean, there is yes. the play, there are playful aspects, and but to kind of put your ego aside, at least for the um, you know for the submission process and and take it seriously because there there is a process for everything for writing query letters for writing right. a synopsis, which is torture for a lot of people for for right. approaching agents and and never. Um, and not to forget that actually a personal connection with an agent is really powerful because you can meet people. I've met so many authors at conferences and many of them, I like at, at some point later down the road, we work together or we do a podcast together. You just never know right. the industry is small. And if you make, and right. it is an industry of relationships. And if you make personal connections it is. with agents, you, you could be interviewing them. You could be, um, you know, or, or at some point you have a question for them down the line and you become their friend and, and they help you out to get published. And it, I've had that happen a number of times. And um, right. so, you know, never underestimate that aspect too, where you can meet people in person, go to these bigger conferences and meet agents. Um, yeah. And, you know, and Liz, then try and I have to say, knowing you and knowing the crowds that you generate, you always take people in, even if they're not your clients. I've seen you do it. When I first met you, you know, arms were out. We gave each other a hug because we had so many people in common. <laughs> so I know that's true about yeah. you. Third Roll most important thing, or third most important thing for authors to focus on, if um, writers to focus on, if they really want to make a go of it, what do they say to their agent? What do they say to their editor? What do they say to you? What do you so mean? we talked I'm about sorry. project. Like, okay, we talked right. about the project. You know, if the project, the project has to be complete. The next thing right. is the the approach to, you know, an mm -hmm. agency. What's the next thing they need to know? Um, you know, I guess one of the biggest things, and and probably what I what I talk about in the book is, you know, really learning to be you know, objective, I guess, like to have objectivity and flexibility, objectivity when it comes to really stepping back and looking at your writing from the elements that make it up instead of always right. looking at it and, and editing it from the approach of let me start from the beginning and go through to the end. Like, no, like step back and look at the dialogue individually, step right. back and look at all your points of pacing, what themes are you working with, and really to start – your approach objectively in terms of, of how you, um, you know, look at your work. But in terms, you know, flexibility is also another thing because as you get in this industry um, and you, you get hit with a lot of rejection, it's, it's hard not to take things personally. And, right. you know, even, even best-selling authors have valleys and peaks in their, in their 
their writing career, you know, and oh, yeah. to and to remember that this industry goes up and it goes down like any other industry. And some weeks are going to be good. Some years are going to be good. I've had good years and bad years in my publishing career. And so it's um, just to know that that's actually part of life and it's not personal and to stay flexible right. and open to feedback, you know, because that's where you're going to get that with, with a lot of authors that don't have the money or don't pay the money to kind of fast track and get an, a developmental editor, you know, they're looking for consensus feedback from the industry that tells them what may or may not be wrong in their project. So right, just right. kind of always have that, you know, at the forefront of your mind, like to stay flexible and to, you know, to, um, to kind of listen to the feedback that's coming to you and to keep at it too, you know, to be persistent. So let me give keep, you two I'm going to give you two opposite stories. Um, I, okay. Steve Barry was one of my first guests when I first started this podcast years ago. And he told me it took him 20 years to get published. He had mm-hmm. a, a Jenny Melchman the same way. Drawers and drawers full of rejection letters. Steve mm-hmm. would not give up his law practice until after his fifth book was published. So, that is to tell you, and you know, he's an international best-selling author. He was, his wife is the executive director of International Thriller Writers. He is so well-known mm-hmm. around the world. Um, I spoke to another author who said, okay, I went to an editor, and the editor told me to make these changes, and I thought, no way, Jose. This is my writing, and I don't want anyone to change it. And... Mm-hmm. I thought that is self-aggrandizing. It's ridiculous. You don't Mm -hmm. know about the business because you've never been published before. Why don't you take the advice of what the editor says to you? Oh, no, no, no. These are my words. I'm not giving them up. So there are two sides of the coin, which I find fascinating. We're almost out of time. So I need to just talk to you about a couple other things. Um, I'm going to, I've been taking notes while you and I are talking, because I'm going to do a very long post about this, uh, this interview today. All right, motherfucker. How does it happen? (laughs) Who's in the lineup? Why? And what defines an MFR? Okay. Um, usually slow drivers, you know, in the fast lane, that will, that will earn a motherfucker. Um, usually, or or a a toast sub or some kind of, you know, coffee spill, it'll be sort of like motherfucker, you know, but, but with a, but with a happy attitude, because, you know, it's like, I I definitely believe anything in life, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity for growth, right? (laughs) Um, <laughs> so, uh, but usually I I don't use them with a, with intense seriousness, but sometimes no, I'll just be like, oh, you know. But so um, let me ask yeah. you this: Has anyone ever favorite, said though. to you, "You don't know what you're talking about"? My book is great, or my POV oh, is yeah. is perfect. So, yeah. um, I've been called a stupid bitch on the show, on a live show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, and I, I talk so about an this author often. talking to you from oh, yeah. you were interviewing? Really? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> it was a guy who wrote his first book, and uh, it was a cute little book. And I How said, about, oh I my goodness. That it, was a, it, it was a motherfucker. That <laughs> it was. So, but, but here's the car, there's a karmic payback in it. So 
the guy okay. said to me, um, he had been a stand-up comic, and he was on HBO, like stand-up comedy, whatever. I don't know. I don't have a TV, so I don't watch that stuff. But anyway, his book was really cute, published by a, one of the big five. And I said, so what made you decide to send this book in? And it's about um, – nerds who were trying to get girlfriends in high school. And this one guy, you know, was hooking everybody up. He had this algorithm all figured out. It was really cute. And he said, oh, no, they came after me. And I thought, oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, no, nobody goes chasing after your high school blogs. So, um, uh-huh. and then I said, okay, well, that's cool. I'm glad that happened for you. Um, so you're a stand-up comedian. Tell me a joke. And he said, are you fucking stupid? don't you know you never ask a comic to tell you a joke? And I said, well, you know, I was stunned. And I said, well, okay, well, you know, I learned something new from my guests every day. In the meantime, (laughs) Tom Pitts, who you know, Tom Pitts, who you know, who does a show on my network, was coming on to do like a little promo for his show. And he gets on on and he says, I'm going to tell you a joke. And he goes, screw that noise. And if you know Tom, and you know Joe is best friend. I love Tom. Yeah, I know. He says, "I'm going to tell you a joke." I, I mentioned he Tom. Told, Tom is mentioned in my book, by the way. I he's adorable. Tom. He's one of my favorite he is. people. He's in the like world. A, he's I love amazing. Him. He's the he only is. one who gets the exception for not writing, uh, for for writing car scenes, and right. he's just got an amazing right. ability for pacing. Yeah, he really anyway, does. Go ahead. Sorry. So he says to me. I'm going to tell you a joke and proceeded to tell me at the end of the interview the raunchiest, filthiest joke I'd ever heard in my life. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness, it's a karmic payback. When this guy listens to his podcast, he's going to be stunned. Oh, I love it. You know? Yeah. So, listeners and readers, this is my it, friend. It, go ahead. Say no. I was just gonna say because isn't it? And I'm and, and I don't really honestly know anything about you know comedy or stand up comedy. But isn't it one of those things that they teach you in comedy class where you're supposed to be able to roll with things as they come at you? Exactly. Too? You know. Exactly. So, but you know. Anyway, you're and I, to say I yes used to go to all the comedy shows when in Miami because we had you know all of those big clubs and everything. You know, oh. I don't care. If someone wants to call me stupid, let them. I don't care. It's you know water off a duck's back. This is Elizabeth Cratch, my friend Liz. Um, her agency is Kim, um, Kimberly Cameron and Associates. If you are interested in finding out if you are worthy and ready to be published, you will go online. Go ahead, tell everyone, Liz, where they should go to find your agency. Oh, uh, www.kimberlycameron.com. And just remember, Kimberly's name is L-E-Y. Sometimes people leave that E-Y out and get bounced back. But right. um, you can submit to any of the agents there um, through there through our agency. Mm-hmm. Liz Cratch, I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> All right. We'll talk again soon. I want to say thank you very much for being with me. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Um, Liz, you and I will talk again soon, okay? Yes, we will. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate Good it. Good night, baby girl. Bye. Good night. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see ya. Mm-hmm.